You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that's getting a copy of Finnegan's Wake in its stocking, because Santa decided we really need a reminder of how terrible we've been this year. I'm Megan. Does that include alcohol? It's a wake. <laughs> no. It's, it's an Irish wake. This story, Finnegan's Wake. Shawata. No... I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And today, as we are so very close to Hanukkah, which for all you Gentiles out there incidentally intersects with Christmas this year which means that, like, Jesus is in retrograde or, or, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, in light well, of... Jesus will be celebrating Hanukkah. Yeah. In light of these joyful wintertime holidays and the verbal atrocities we committed in the previous episode, I feel like it's time we get a little more wholesome and a lot more holiday classic. We're going to talk but... Italian? <laughs> That's not either of those things. Oh. And we're going to wrap with our final episode of the year by taking a look at E.T.A. Hoffman's the Nutcracker, and The Mouse King. I thought people wanted my meatball recipe. Please, no. None of these jokes make sense unless people listen to the last episode, which really no one with ears should ever listen to. That's a spicy See meatball. Me, but yes, it sure is. Anyone who's heard of The Nutcracker is probably more familiar. Ow, my nuts. Yeah, we're going to make so many of those jokes. Just save them. Hold them in. Don't go crack those nuts just yet. Anyone's heard of the Nutcracker is probably far more familiar with the iconic ballet composed by Tchaikovsky in 1892, and you know all of the like, do 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 and so on you might not know that before the ballet it was a classic christmas yarn about a toy that's really more of a safety hazard and a young girl being extorted by a mouse with seven heads rj were you aware of the story of the Nutcracker? Nope. In, yeah, nope, not even. Did you think it was written by Hans Christian Andersen? And Maybe. just start writing your background notes without bothering to double check, you arrogant, ignorant sack of a man. Uh, look, one, don't gender me. Fine, just sack, general, generally. Arrogant, ignorant sack. If I come across a book cover and it says the Nutcracker, Hans Christian Andersen, I'm going to make some assumptions. Guess what? That book cover doesn't exist. Yeah, you saw it yourself. It's in other stories. Oh, in other a collection, stories. Uh, as, a, as a collection. Like, it, it it's not a... The man wrote multiple stories. If it says The Raven in other stories, Edgar Allan Poe, I'm going to take a pretty good guess. It was just that... No, he man. didn't write that... Wow. You didn't even look. If you just Googled it. If you literally just Googled it. You can't defend yourself. You have no defense. So, you know, you never even... Nothing about a nutcracker. Nope. Not even the ballet. I mean, it exists. It does exist. I've never seen it. Because I live in Florida and not like, I don't know, New York or Paris or whatever magical world where there are just ballets aplenty. Populated by wealthy heiresses wearing opera glasses or whatever. 
And before you try to at me on Twitter and explain that the ballet is actually far more accessible or whatever, I will not be taking constructive criticism at this time. Although, you can mail me a pair of opera glasses at P.O. Box 5073, Deerfield Beach, Florida, 33442. Just saying. I want opera glasses. <laughs> go to the opera. Yeah, well, I can't go to the opera till I get fucking opera glasses. Get with the program. Borrow but yeah, apart from that, my knowledge of the Nutcracker, much like Christmas Carol, comes from watching Mickey Mouse do it, because for whatever reason, the Muppets never attempted that one. But before we can learn about the original story, and how that story was tweaked by a very sexy someone you may be familiar with, we need to learn about the considerably less sexy, I looked up pictures, you can trust me, estimated time of arrival Hoffman. RJ? What's up? Take us there. Ernst Theodore Wilhelm Hoffman. Wait, so where'd the A come from? Born January 24th, 1776. Wouldn't it be E.T.W. Hoffman? Mmm, a good year for America, baby. And died June 25th, 1822. A year not quite as notable for America, however. However. I will note. That is the year Florida became a fully formed U.S. territory. Before that, America did not have its famous wing. After 1822, America was famously able to pee standing up hmm florida becomes a state eta hoffman dies coincidence so ernst theodore wilhelm hoffman was known as eta for short (laughs) now a couple things first as megan pointed out to me as we prepared this episode eta is kind of ugly dude really kind of looks more like et than anything else But again, unless you're coming with a strong self-nickname, I get to choose a nickname for you. ETA is strong, but nah, it's a lie. Because there's no A. Well, he eventually gets an A A later on. He changes his name to Ernst Theodore Amadeus Hoffman. We'll we'll get to that in a bit. Okay. Um, But that's not how he was born. He was ETW. Okay. ETA is just made up shit. Gotcha. And anyway, when I look at the guy, all I can think of is my personal favorite, Ernest P. Worrell. Always. You know what I mean? Babe? Always with the fucking... Yeah, yeah. Always with fucking Ernest P. World. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Vern? So Ernie, he shall be. <laughs> no, so, no, see, now I'm thinking of... Now I'm thinking of... Er, I'm Bert. thinking... Oh, no, that's a different Ernie. Burton Ernie. Um, yes. I'm, no, I'm thinking of Ernst P. World now and how fucking good that would be. <laughs> you know what I mean, Evan? It is I, Ernst P. Wall. Ernie was born in Konigsberg, which was part of Prussia at the time, but would now be defined as being part of Mother Russia. He was born into a family of lawyers, dad being Christoph Ludwig Hoffman, and mom being Luvisa Albertina Dufner. Dufner. Or Dufer. No, Doofer. Dorfer. Dorfer. We're going to fuck up so many names. We're going to fuck up so many names. A lot lot of German. Dorfer. Who just happened to be cousins. Oh. Keeping it in the family. Ew. Daddy Hoffman, other than being a lawyer, was known to write poetry and play a mean viola de gamba, an Italian stringed instrument that was part of the violin family. It's unclear if Daddy Hoffman spoke Italian or merely no, voted out no. on his viola de gamba. God. Hey, that's a good fact for me. Sure. We do love our facts here on our uh, class. Italian. It all fits together. It always works out that way. This jo- these jokes don't make sense to people. No, but it's real. Okay. He plays the 
Italian violin? Yes, okay. He's German. Uh, I don't think he spoke Italian. <laughs> Could pick a normal violin. Continue. You know, like Stradinovsky. What do they call those? Stradivarius? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Stradinovsky? Yeah. Yeah, I really love those violins. Beef Stroganoff? <laughs> that's my optometrist. What? <laughs> I don't even get that joke. No, it's my optometrist name. He's on the mind. Gotta get these peepers looked at. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm, I'm sorry. His, his name is Stroganoff? No, what I said. <laughs> what? I'm really confused now. Ernie was the youngest of three children. The middle child died, and then when little Ernie was merely two years old, his parents decided to split. Daddy left town with the oldest child, and Ernie was left behind with his mother, who stayed in the same place in Prussia. Wait, so they, like, did a literal parent trap where they're like, all right, I'll take this kid, I'll take that kid, and neither of the two shall meet. Yep, that's basically how it went. That's fucked up. He stayed behind with mom, so he was raised by his mom, his great aunts, and his uncle, all who happened to be unmarried. Four single folks and a baby in 18th century Prussia. Stop me when you've heard this rom-com before. I'd watch it. Apparently, Uncle was a bit of a dick who no one liked, Ernie included. Ernie did like his aunts, so much so that one aunt who died when he was only three years old, he remembered enough about her to write about her fondly later in life. He dubbed her Auntie Littlefeet. <laughs> I'm better at nicknames. <laughs> Are you, though? Auntie Little Feet. Auntie yeah. Little, beloved Auntie Little Feet. I remember her feet were so small. From the age of 5 to 16, he attended the local Lutheran school for youths. He took to writing, painting, as well as piano playing. A true Renaissance man. One of his biffles was Theodore Gottlieb von Hippel the Younger, whose dad was Theodore Gottlieb von Hippel the Elder. One would assume. Now that is how you do it, people. <laughs> None of this same first name, middle name shit. None of this first, second, third stuff. No. Go all in, baby. Call yourself the Elder and your kids the Younger. He'll have multiple kids and rattle them off. Younger, even younger, and youngest. <laughs> Well, then you can't you can't use the name anymore after that. Hey, you keep going. They're they're the last ones. They're the youngest. Youngest part two. <laughs> Even youngest. Sir. Too young, too furious. <laughs> young three. <laughs> now the von Hippels Tokyo were BF- Okay. <laughs> now the von Hippels were BFFs with Immanuel Kant, and so Ernie got to know the man who gave us transcendental idealism. Once he left school at 16, he began to give piano lessons to make ends meet. One woman he worked with was Dora Hatt. He taught her for a few years, and when he was 18, he let it be known that he wanted her. He wanted her bad. There was a problem here. One, she was 28, which was not a problem in and of itself, but she was also married and she had six kids. Wait, 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 back up. So he, wait, he was tutoring her? Yeah. And he's 18. He's 18. And she's 28. Yep. Damn, son. And she's married with six kids. Yep, stop so, Stop me if you've heard this rom-com before. So she was not all that available. This did not go well. And he was sent off to go work with an uncle far, far away. So he would not become a homewrecker. His uncle, like everyone else in his family, was a lawyer and trained Ernie to follow in the family footsteps. Ernie became a lawyer. But more importantly, his new job and lifestyle allowed him to travel to cities he'd never been to before including Dresden and Berlin. There, he was exposed to fantastic art and became inspired. He poured more of his energies into his writings, painting, and composing. He was now 24 and decided to make his own way in the world and moved out from his uncle's house. This was the first time he would be on his own without any supervision of any family members. And while he became a bit of a vagrant, 
he began drawing caricatures of powerful people and posting them around town. Through some investigative work, Ernie was found out. Thing is, people kind of liked Ernie and didn't want to punish him, at least not too much. So Wait, so he was like Banksy? Yeah. <laughs> so instead, what they decided to do was to promote him in the court system. And as part of that promotion was that he needed to move far, far away into the shitty part of the country. I'm seeing a theme here where he just needs to move far, far away a lot. Later, my guy. While on his exile, he became depressed. Now, when he drew caricatures, he drew them of himself drowning in mud. Oh, no! (laughs) Yeah, it took a dark turn. Ernie, no! Luckily, this did not last too long as he managed to get himself a better posting over in Warsaw. He served as a chief administrator in the city until 1806, when he was 30. One of his duties was assigning last names to the Jewish immigrants that happened to wind up in Warsaw. He executed this job with the seriousness you might expect from a non-Jewish Prussian man in the 19th century. Uh. To quote here, he sometimes did it depending on the day of the week. For example, Monday, he used the name of flowers. On Friday, names of fish. On days he was hungover after drinking with a Prussian army officer, he used names like Festung, Fuhr, and Pistolet, and Trompeteur. In short, if you're of Jewish heritage, have family from Warsaw, and your last name is questionable. Might be the old Ernie Hoffman's fault. This might explain why my legal name is R.J. Phileo Fish Bastard Toflex. <laughs> you know, I'd always wondered... And now we know. Except your family is is not from Warsaw. (laughs) You already dug deep for the Bastard Toflax. I didn't believe it that it was a flower, but there it is. There you go. How about that? Yep. In 1807, (laughs) Napoleon and his French troops showed up and kicked out all the Prussians. Ernie included. So Ernie had to hightail it back to Berlin. As Napoleon was all like, look bros and broettes, you're all going to like totally pledge of allegiance to France, or you're going to have to get out. Ernie was not going to bow down to the red, white, and blue stripes, goddammit. Things were not much better in Berlin, however, as Napoleon's troops showed up there as well. Hoffman was broke without a job, as Prussian officials were no longer allowed to work, and so he only received a meager allowance. He decided to focus on his artistic works. While he was a fine composer and even had some fans of his musical talents, his writing is where he really shined. In particular, he wrote about composers that preceded him, like Beethoven and Mozart. So remember way back when, at the start of all this, I said that people called him ETA, even though his name, when he was born, was Ernst Theodore Wilhelm? Yeah. Well, it was during this time of writing that he decided to drop the Wilhelm and instead just say his name was Ernst Theodore Amadeus. You know, like Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Dude, just stole a name. (laughs) That one's cool. It's mine now. Stop me, stop me, Mozart. I, R.J. Fish, Herbert Walkard... Bastard Toflax would never do such a thing. No. I frown upon this kind of thievery. So Ernie continued to make ends meet by teaching piano to whoever wanted to know. He also got a job at the Bamberg Theater. He did a little of everything there. He was a stagehand, a playwright, and a decorator. He held the job for about four years before leaving for Dresden to take up a job as a director of an opera. Ooh, fancy. While he found the opera company to be top-notch, he and some of the other people involved in the company did not see eye-to-eye, and back onto the road for him it was. It's unclear if he hummed any Carmen or Cleopatra, or my personal favorite, Enrico Palazzo, as he wandered back through the war-torn wasteland. No, I'm not acknowledging it. 
What? I'm just going to let it sit there. What's that? <laughs> nothing. Keep reading. What's wrong, Meg? Nope. There's nothing wrong. You, you just listed off some things that we won't discuss any further. Which one does it fit in? <laughs> one of those things is not like the other. Which one, listener, you decide because I'm not playing this game. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was Pavarotti, Domingo, yeah, yeah. and Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> Yeah, you're really fucking pleased with yourself over your fucking naked gun joke. Uh, there you go. Yeah, you just, oh, I just had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's from The Naked Gun, <laughs> starring Leslie Nielsen from, what, 1980? I don't fucking know. It is unrelated to this at all. Mm. 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 Back to Berlin. That's stupid. Although, now instead of having to deal with Napoleon and his troops, Ernie was able to celebrate the defeat of Napoleon. Napoleon was to never be heard of again, until he returned as a tricolored ice cream. Quick aside here. Oh, I have a feeling it won't be, but okay. I'm the monster who would just eat the vanilla out of the Napoleon ice cream container. What the fuck? At other people's houses. Oh my god. Fight me. You are history's greatest monster. He spent the rest of his life in Berlin and working in the Berlin theater. He put on a number of operas and plays. During this time, he wrote the focus of this episode, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. He also began to battle with alcohol abuse and syphilis, which eventually led to paralysis. Perhaps, Oof. on a related note, I really love this line. Gotta quote this one. His last works were dedicated to his wife or to his secretary. It's unclear. Because... <laughs> He was just so busy fucking. So he was paralyzed. Yep. And he was still getting his bone on. Well, I think uh, that was the stopping of the boning and the right. Oh, okay. For my bestie that I'll see in bed, Ernie. Who can that be to? Who mm, I don't know. That's why it's hard to know. That's a, it was a mystery. So Ernie died June 25th, 1822 at the tender age of 46. Oof. He was celebrated while he was alive, and many people regarded his works quite highly, as seems to be the case with most Ono Look Class alum that were playwrights. That might be the secret to success, Meg. Mm. You know, just FYI. Yeah. The way to think of Ernie is that he is the favorite author of your favorite authors. Ah. Authors like Dickens, Poe, Kafka, Dostoevsky, all built upon Ernie's legacy in writing. And directors like Alfred Hitchcock cited Ernie for helping him understand the macabre genre all the more. His writing about music is also credited for helping the art form stay relevant well into the 19th century and beyond. His review of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know the one. ba 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 that's right it's the one after the fourth and it's really just a remix of mambo number five do 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 the trumpet i can't fucking i tried anyway ernie's review of that symphony is supposedly in a word sick Apparently, like, the best review of any music ever. The review is so fire. However, the way he tends to float through the zeitgeist of 2019 is The Nutcracker. The Nutcracker and the Mouse King was written in 1816. It was written as a story, not a play or an opera or a ballet, which made it unique for Ernie at the time, and probably for us nowadays as we tend to get exposed to it, not as a story. And really, the story was not all that popular. 
nothing really came of it until Dateline, 1844, <laughs> Christmas time, a party in France, 28 years after the Nutcracker and the Mouse King was originally penned. One Big Daddy Dumas brings his daughter to a holiday party. Being Big Daddy Dumas. I would like to remind anyone who has not listened to our episode on the Three Musketeers that for once, this isn't just RJ being horny and weird. He was named Dad. That was that was what he went by. He was Alexander Dumas Pair, as in the de- the dad, because there was Alexander Dumas Fee, the son. He was Daddy. I'm still not fucking over this. Being Big Daddy Dumas, he parties. He imbibes, perhaps imbibing a bit too much, and falls asleep in the chair. But this is Big Daddy Dumas, the man who wrote the Three Caballeros or something. Something. In the Battle of the Monte Cristo Sandwich or something. Hmm. Monte Cristo sandwich. Subtle. <laughs> Gotta sneak it in somewhere. The children at the party wanted a story, so they did what any group of children would do. They tied Big Daddy Dumas down. <laughs> Whoa! Woke him up and demanded a story. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Mr. Gray will see you now. <laughs> Considering, um, if you go back and listen to, to our episode on Big Daddy Dumas and j- just how much he fucks, he was probably used to being tied to a chair, but not quite in this way. Being put on the spot, Big Daddy did the best he could. That being, he just told a story that he already knew. The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Now, the original story, as we will hear, was a bit darker. So Big Daddy edited the original story into what we know today. It was such a hit of an adaptation at the party, he decided to write it down. The irony of a dreaded Frenchman editing Ernie's story to make it relevant all these years later. Ernie must have been spinning in his grave. But that might have also been the syphilis. (laughs) I've heard it does that. Anyway, eventually, like eventually 50 years later, some dude named Tchaikovsky was hired to put a ballet together for the Russian Imperial Theater. He read Big Daddy Dumas' version. He pounded on the keys and the strings a bit, and boom, the Nutcracker we know today. That's that's how you do it. You know, you just gotta pound away on those keys and those strings until you make a, a music, a, a musical. <laughs> Maybe on that viola de gamba. Ah. And now I turn this nut over to Megan to crack it open and fuck it. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I pushed it out. You want to try that again? You want to take a second pass at that? (laughs) Now Megan's going to take this nut and fuck it. And now I turn this nut over to Megan to crack it the fuck open. all up in your ears or you try to aim for the ears no that's that's how you get an ear infection that's not good good morning evening technically it's it's both right now it whatever time isn't real anyway it's megan hey how's it going 
we're almost there. We're almost at the end of this nightmare dark carnival ride that has been 2019. But before I strap in for whatever fresh horrors 2020 will bring, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners. Everybody who tunes in and has a good giggle and shares the show and tells their friends and keeps this party train rolling. I think I've used that saying before, but whatever. I just... I get like this at the end of the year. Just thank you for listening and just know that we we appreciate it very much. And we especially appreciate our patrons who help support the show and are a very big part of why we get to keep doing it, including our most recent new member, Lesbian Scully. Like Dana Scully, like the X-Files, but lesbian. You really can't just put whatever name you want in here. Lest we ever forget White Chocolate Temptation which we never will. They're still here. Hey, White Chocolate Temptation has it hanging. Uh, yeah, pledging to our Patreon is a really great way to show your support for the show and get stuff in return. And if it's really just stuff you're after this holiday season, look no further than the Ono Lit Class store, which you can find by going to our website at onolitclass.com and clicking merch store or going to onolitclass.threadless.com where you could find our goofy visage on all the manner of fine clothing wear and products and they're you know usually running sales and things like that and I, I need to tell people about that more often but yeah please check out our online store it's really good quality products and it's it would I, I like it please for me for my Christmas this year that I don't actually celebrate oh well and if you're into book shirts that don't have anything to do with us or dongs necessarily you can check out litographs litographs are the people who make those shirts where it's the whole book like written out on the shirt and it makes the design i have one from them it's really cool it's a telltale heart so it's like the entire story of the telltale heart printed on the shirt and then but part of it is like red and in, in, in the shape of like a heart it's very cool the shirts are pretty dope and from right now that's right 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 now to the end of the year, if you go to littlegraphs.com, so that's L-I-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-S.com, and put in the code ONOLIT, in all caps, O-H-N-O-L-I-T, you can get 15% off your order. That's good through the end of the year. This is not a sponsorship. This is not affiliate advertising. They just said, hey, we'll give you a cool discount code that you can give to your listeners to get 15% off. So that's code ONOLIT at checkout. Maybe if enough of you do it and they're like, hey, we we actually got some pretty decent sales of people, you know, using that code, maybe they'll actually give us a sponsorship. That's what I'm hoping for. Because otherwise, I mean, I got 50% off a shirt, I suppose, which is neat. Finally, this week's pod pal is not a podcast, but he was on a podcast. He's a previous guest from our episode on The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Matt Johnston, a.k.a. the musical act known as The Narcissist Cookbook. He has just put out a new album called Him, like, like H-Y-M-N. There's a lot of spelling in this section, this episode. Um, it fucking rips. 
And by fucking rips, I mean that it is a beautifully crafted existential study into how we process, like, grief and loss. And it's just, it's a really beautiful album. And so it's called Hymn, like, like Hymnal, Hymn, and it's, you can check it out on Spotify, on YouTube, you can go to his Twitter, at Narcissist Cook. But yeah, if you just search Narcissist cookbook and and him on pretty much any place where you would get music uh you'll find it i'll probably put a link in the show notes as well it's just a really good album and i just want to shout it out so go buy something from us at onolitclass.thelist.com go buy a shirt from litographs and get 15 percent off and go listen to him and feel feelings scottish feelings specifically all right this this uh this went to some places i'm gonna go now Enjoy cracking some more of those Christmas nuts, and we will see you in the new year. Unless you're on Patreon, in which case we will see you sooner than that. Because that's a perk of being a patron. Okay, bye for real this time. So our whimsical Christmas tale begins with two kids locked in a dark room. Mr. Gray will see you now. Just stop adding that to the end of things. They are Fritz and Marie Stahlbaum, eight and seven years old, respectively. Fucking pervert. And Me the or ch- him. <laughs> You're the one who said Mr. Gray will see you now. They're the children of Dr. and Mrs. Stahlbaum. Now, admittedly, this is just because it's late at night, so they're supposed to be in bed, and they're locked in the room because it's Christmas Eve, and they're not allowed to, like, sneak out and open their presents earlier or some such, but without the context of, like, the first three words, namely... On Christmas Eve, the first few lines read a lot more sinister. The children of Dr. Stahlbaum were not permitted to enter the parlor, much less the adjoining drawing room. Evening had come, and Fritz and Maria Stahlbaum sat huddled in a corner. As was usual on Christmas Eve, no one had brought in a light, so they sat in an eerie darkness. Holiday spirit. Anyway, while they're sitting alone, trapped in a room with no light, but like, in a nice way, I guess... Oh, it's a lot of this story, I gotta say, just right out the gate. Translation is important. I read a couple different translations, and it really gives different vibes to what goes on. And, you know, we already know we have the different, we have, like, the different Dumas version. And we've read other stories on the show, you know, that were translated, that were English was not the original. But we really haven't talked about how important translation is and, like, who's doing the translating and how difficult that is a lot of times, because even if, you know, you can't use the exact words, you have to convey the the proper mood and tone and things like that, and maybe we don't have, like, a word for it in English or something like that, and... I don't know, it's just something to think about. Like, translation is an art form, and also I just wonder if it's part of why this story is fucking bonkers. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe just bonkers. It could just be bonkers. But it was bonkers in different ways, depending on which translation you read. So Fritz whispers to Marie that he's heard that their godfather, the inventor and general weirdo, Drosselmeyer, is going to bring them an awesome gift. I'm gonna give you a gift you can't refuse. He's German. His name is Drosselmeyer. Where the fuck are you getting that shit? It's me, the godfather. It's me, the Drosselmeyer. I speak the Italian. Anyway, Drosselmeyer's job is is unclear depending on what translation you're reading. Sometimes he's described as like a judge or a councilman of some kind, which is wild. Guilty. Here's his like quote of, of his introduction. So quote, now judge is judge in 
the version that I clipped, Judge Drosselmeyer was not the least bit handsome. He was small and thin, with a face full of wrinkles, and where his right eye ought to have been, he wore a black eye patch. He had no hair at all on his head, and so he wore a cleverly made white wig of glass threads. That's a choice. It is. It's a look. And, but we get this really cute description afterwards that says, In general, Godfather Drosselmeyer was a clever sort of man who knew a great deal about watches and clocks, and even made some himself. When one of the Stahlbaum family clocks was sick and couldn't sing... Godfather Drosselmeyer would come and take off his glass wig and yellow coat, because he's also got one of those, and put on a blue apron. He would then stab all sorts of sharp instruments into the clock. Marie felt sympathy pains, but the clocks weren't at all hurt. In fact, the clocks purred and sang as joyfully as ever, which made the whole family happy again. There's a lot of toy and object personification going on in this story, and for the most part, like, it's really cute, and I really like it, that idea that all the clocks are sick, and he's gotta make them better. Like, I don't know, it's just really cute, and it's told in this very, like, straightforward way, like, the brother Fritz has all these toy soldiers but they're never referred to as toy soldiers. They're just sort of little men and he like commands them into battle or instead of like saying one of his older soldier toys was kind of broken and so he wasn't playing with it anymore that he retired him and sent him off to live with like a nice pension. And it's just really cute because there's no like winking or like irony to it. Like it's really kind of sweet and I like it. One tin soldier... Walks yeah. away. Rides away. But rides away. Good, good. Do, 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 do. That's my favorite opera. Thank you for your contribution. So yeah, uh, Drosselmeyer, whose name translates, again, depending, to something along the lines of someone who stirs things up, which is fitting, since he jumpstarts the story and is also chaotic as all fuck. He always gets Fritz Marie and their oldest sister, Louise, who shows up every so often to remind you that she's there, the best kind of Christmas gifts. Super intricate setups with breakable small parts that their parents put away on a shelf where they can't touch it once they're done looking at it. It's the best kind of gift. All kids love stuff that they can't touch and can only look at behind glass. It's the best. Can't break it. Can't touch it. Can't break it. <laughs> the best kind of gift is one you can't interact with at all. Um, It'll be there when you grow up, kid. <laughs> And this holiday is no different, as Drosselmeyer brings the kids basically like a super fancy sort of clockwork house, orange. like a little doll. No. Yeah, he brings them a clockwork orange, like a little dollhouse that they can't actually interact with, and then they get bored, and that makes him mad. And the, the parents have to like kind of pacify him, and as I've mentioned and will keep mentioning, he's a weird little dude. But anyway, their parents also got them presents that don't suck, like dolls and army men and beautiful dresses. Marie notices off in the corner one last lonely present, a little nutcracker soldier that she immediately falls in love with. And it points out that he's he's sort of goofy looking, but in like a very charming kind of way. And that she just is just like, aw, I will love this small nutcracker man. She shows the gift this off and her, her dad is like, oh, the nutcracker belongs to everybody though, but he'll crack open nuts real good. Yeah, and then he yep, right. and then you'll get, you'll be able to get it the good meats inside the nut, which oh. is oh. so weird. That's, I mean, but that's always been a thing. That's not even just a translation thing. Like nut meat is a thing they used to call like the inside the shell, like the thing that we just call the nut now, like that, that, they called it the meat. They called it the nut meat. And so there's oh. a lot of lines about how they put these tough nuts in the nutcracker's mouth. And he does such a great job of, of, of cracking them open with his teeth and opening up the meat. In 2019, <laughs> we just call that ejaculate. Nut meat. 
Sperm. It's gross. Semen. But then Fritz is sort of unsatisfied with this nutcracker, and he puts in a nut that's way too big, and is just like, eat, eat this! And he breaks the nutcracker's jaw, and that's that's no good. No. No good. <laughs> and Marie's very upset, and uh, she starts crying, and... Fritz is like, well, I guess he's a shitty nutcracker then. And Marie, like, ties up his poor little broken jaw with, like, a bandage. And everybody's going off to bed. And her mom is like, oh, you gotta go to bed, Marie. And she's like, I I will in a second. But she doesn't want to tell her mom what she's doing. Because even at age seven, she knows it's, like, a little bit silly. But it's so fucking cute. And she goes to this shelf where all, like, the toys are. And that she has this lovely new doll. And she tells the doll, she's like, hey, doll, like, I know that you're the prettiest doll. And you sleep on this lovely bed. But look at this poor little injured nutcracker can't you sleep on your little doll couch tonight and let him have the bed it's just so fucking cute like toy story yeah except then it becomes like toy story but kind of fucked up because then like we get like oh things are happening the shadows move the clock starts chiming and an owl start on the clock starts saying weird things like tick tock stalbum clocks only were and purr mouse king so sharp of ear were were purr purr only sing the old song were were purr purr ding dong ding dong i promise you he won't last long and then marie realizes it's not an owl on top of the clock it's godfather drosselmeyer <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing up there? What the fuck? But then she's immediately distracted by the tiny army of mice that appear out of nowhere. And at first, it actually points out the saying, unlike most small girls and, and whatnot, she's not scared of mice. She's just kind of like, oh, cool. But then, this is great, because the narrator directly addresses the reader and says, like, hey, look, I bet you're just as clever and courageous as as any, anybody, but I think if you saw this shit, it would fuck you up so bad, and you would run away and hide in your bed like a little bitch. And do you know what that, that thing is? No. The ground explodes... And all around the like around the mouse, uh, mouse army, and coming up through the floor, through the hole in the floor now, is a big ol' fucking mouse man with seven mouse heads and little crowns on all the heads. Now, how big is this man? Well, I think he's roughly mouse sized. I see. Not seven mouse sized. Nah, like like just one one mouse body, seven mouse heads, which I feel like would be kind of top heavy, and you just like he clonk over, but. No, but he's thick. He's thick, though. And so then the Nutcracker starts moving, and they have a battle. They have a Toy Story battle where all of the dolls and the soldiers and stuff are fighting on the Nutcracker side against the mice. And it's kind of adorable because they're mostly throwing, like, sugar pellets and dumb, like, shit at each other. But it is also, like, the grim horrors of war. And through it all, Marie is just sitting there like, what the fuck do I do? do here and so the the battle starts going like not so well and uh it looks like the the mouse king is gonna kill the nutcracker so marie does the only thing she can think of she takes off her shoe and she just fucking hucks it at the mouse which like yeah i I don't know what else you know you're gonna do there and she she bonked that motherfucker and then she passes out and she feels a pain in her arm and she wakes up in bed 
and there's a doctor and everyone's like, oh, Marie, you stayed up so late playing with your toys that you fell into the glass case and you got a huge cut on your arm. And she tries to be like, no, no, there was a battle and the thing and the nutcracker was alive. There was a mouse with seven goddamn heads. I threw a shoe at him. And they're all like, oh, little Marie, you and your imagination, you shut your dumb face. They needed a ring doorbell. They would have caught that on camera. Exactly. They would have had proof. Yeah, because that's the other thing. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it more later because you have right now this idea, this, you know, blurring of imagination and reality. And, you know, is it actually happening or is it all just like fanciful in Marie's little child mind? And Drosselmeyer shows up and she's just like, I saw you on the clock, motherfucker. You called the Mouse King. Why didn't you help me or the Nutcracker, you son of a bitch? And the parents are just like, what? And then Drosselmeyer, in front of everyone, just says more rhymes. He's just like, the pendulum had to purr and pick. It could not strike, nor could it tick. But now the bells sound loud and strong. Dong and ding, ding and dong. Ding and ding and dong. Doll girl, don't be afraid. The king of mice has gone away. The owl returns now swift and quick. Pick and peck, peck and pick. Bells ring, dong and ding, clocks whir, purr and purr. Pendulums must also purr, clink and clank, whir and purr. And, um, this is just a great fucking sentence. Marie stared wide-eyed at Godfather Drosselmeyer. The judge looked somehow uglier than usual, and his right arm was moving back and forth as if he were manipulating a marionette. (laughs) He's doing this in front of her parents and everyone. It's really weird. Pick and pack is what they do. So they're like, well, here's the thing, Marie. I'm going to tell you a story. And maybe it'll help clear things up. It won't help clear things up. It's the story of Princess Perlipat. And she's like, no, what's... I don't don't know what that is. And he's like, well, I'll tell you. It's it's a fairy tale. Do you want to know what the name of this fairy tale is, Arche? The tale of Perlipat. No. No. The nut that couldn't be cracked. Actually, you're not too far off. The tale of the hard nut. (laughs) We're adults. It shouldn't. We pay. We pay taxes. It's just three letters. It's tale of the hard nut. The hard nut. The tale of the hard nut's pretty fucking wild. Drosselmeyer tells it to Marie and Fritz over the course of three nights. I don't know why he feels the need to split it up, but here's the short version. Perlipat is a princess, and she's a beautiful baby, and everyone thinks that she's really great, but then then a problem happens. She gets cursed, and here's how she gets cursed. It's uh, a big festival meal night or whatever, and the king is like, Oh man, that means it's sausage night. I sure love my fucking sausages. And the queen is like, I know you love your sausages, baby. I know you love them so much. I'm going to make them for you. And she's in the kitchen. And then this little mouse queen comes out from under the stove. And she's like, I am Lady Mouse Rinks. And I am a queen. Surely you can give me some sausage fat, sister. As we are both queens. And the queen's like, this is weird, but yeah, you're like cute little mouse. Sure, here's some fat or whatever. And then uh, Mouse Rinks is like, oh, good, and here's some for my entire seven billion mouse family. Ah! 
ah! and they take all of the the fat until they like chase him out and she she does what she can and during the dinner the king is really sad like he's really sad and even and it comes to a head when he just moans at the table not enough fat <laughs> just really weird you need big fat I only got little fat. Big fat. Need more fat. Need big fat energy. So they're like, "All right, we gotta, we gotta figure this shit out. We gotta kill these goddamn mice." And so the the task of solving the problem is given to the court clockmaker and wizard, whose name conveniently is Christian Elias Drosselmeyer. I'm sure, there's no connection there. And so he's like, "All right, I'm gonna make a bunch of little mouse traps," and he does. And Mouse Rings is like, oh, I'm far too clever for these. But most of her family isn't. And all of her mouse sons die horribly. And then she gives birth to a final mouse son. So she had seven mouse mouse sons. They all die. This last mouse son is born with seven heads. (laughs) Oh, also she says, I'm going to bite your princess to pieces. And the queen's just like, oh, fuck don't you love nature (laughs) (laughs) and so they they have guards sleeping at the crib with like cats but one of them falls asleep and they wake up and the mouse is in the crib and they're like ah and the mouse gets away and they're like oh good she's not dead but here's the thing princess perlipat is something worse than dead rj you know what that is alive well that's kind of dark but (laughs) But, well no she's ugly Uh she's mad ugly She's got a weird little body and a big old head and her eyes look bad. Got like Steve Buscemi baby syndrome. I don't know. She's a brat stall. Kinda. Uh, And everyone's like, oh no, that's fucking terrible. And the king is like, "What, what the fuck? You didn't fix this. And so he blames Drosselmeyer and is like, look, you either fix the princess in four weeks or I'm going to cut your fucking head off. This is the story that Drosselmeyer is telling to his godchildren. Like, I want to... This is the story of the Nutcracker! Oh, here's what you gotta do this with me, otherwise you're gonna lose your head. Now I'm not saying I'm gonna take your head Wait, you said Drosselmeyer was the one who was talking like that. This is the king. Yeah, but I'm telling the story. Ah, okay, gotcha, yeah. I'm gonna take your head off. And... To quote the king. And Drosselmeyer has no fucking idea what he's going to do. And he's like, I really don't want to die. But then he sees the princess cracking nuts. And she's just with her her giant weird head and her vestigial body just chomping down on nuts. Pretty happy. And he's like, aha, I know a thing now. And he goes to the court astrologer and they figure out the princess's horoscope and they make a prophecy and they say, okay, here's the thing. We we figured out the stars say how to fix the princess's beauty. She's got to eat the nut meat of the nut (laughs) crackatuck. The stars told us so, okay? Now the nut crackatuck has, quote, such a hard shell that you could run the wheel of a cannon over it without breaking it. And the nut would be given to a young man who had neither yet shaven nor worn boots, and he would have to bite it open himself before giving it to the princess, and, and then give her give her the nut meat with his eyes closed, and then he couldn't open his eyes until he took seven steps backward without tripping or stumbling. What the fuck? What the fuck is this? It's a very complicated story, children. 
I don't even know what you're, you're doing. So they tell the they, they tell the king, and the king is like, "This is amazing. This is great. All right, go find this man and this this real hard nut." And they're like, "We don't know where the fuck they are." And he's Brazil, like, Brazil nuts are hard. That's man. true. And he says, "Well, then get the fuck out of this kingdom and don't come back until you do." And so they go out on a, a years long quest, Drosselmeyer and and the uh, astronomer, and it's it's fifteen years. 50, and I want to emphasize this because the way that this story resolves itself is deeply upsetting. So Drosselmeyer's on the road for 15 goddamn years trying to find this boy and this nut. <laughs> it's a rare boy and a rare nut. And he's like, I miss, and he's originally from Nuremberg, he says, and he's like, I miss Nuremberg so much. It's the best place ever. It's it's my home. I want to go back so bad. Oh, how I miss Nuremberg. And he cries. And the court astrologer's like, then fucking go to Nuremberg. Like, we're, go- we're, we're traveling all over the place. Why not go home to Nuremberg? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he does. And when he gets there, he meets his cousin, a doll maker, painter, and gilder, Christoph Zacharias Drosselmeyer. And he tells him all about his stories. And he's like, wow. That's crazy. Hey, um, do you want to know something cool? I have Krakatuk. I've had it this whole time. He, yeah, he has. And you want to know what's also cool? I got a nephew, and he cracks nuts with his mouth real good. So much so that all the other kids in town have nicknamed him the Nutcracker. So... 15 fucking years, and if he'd just gone home and hit up his cousin, would have solved this problem. Might have wandered in on that boy. Cracking. Cracking some nuts in that mouth. Yep. Crack open a cold one. Crack open a cold one with the the nuts. Crack crack open a cold nut with the boy. (laughs) There we go. I did it. I got it. So they take the boy and and the nut back to the kingdom with Princess Perlipat. And he does the thing. He creeps. Oh, oh. That's right. Actually, first, Drosselmeyer's like, wait, wait, no. Let's not do it immediately. Let's say we've got the nut, but don't reveal the boy so that all these other boys will show up and crack their teeth and not be able to do it. And the king will be forced to be like, man, whatever boy cracks this nut with his face gets to marry the princess and get a lot of money. And his cousin's like, hell yeah, that sounds good. And also buy a bunch of stock and a vocal dentist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they do it. And a bunch of boys break their jaw on the nut and they walk off saying, and I quote, Wow, that nut sure was tough. <laughs> what a tough nut. Uh, and then he, he makes that declaration and voila, nutcracker boy. And he does the thing. He cracks the nut. He gives the nut meats to the princess. And the princess turns beautiful again. Everyone's like, oh my god. Except. Except. Except that while he's doing that stupid seven steps back thing, Lady Mouse Rinks scurries under his shoe to fuck him up so he trips and falls over. And he does. And he squashes her and he kills her. But it also means he didn't complete the thing. And so now he's super ugly and weird and turns into a little nutcracker man. And everyone's like, oh no, this is terrible. And Princess Perlipat's like, I'm not marrying that shit. Never mind that I was a weird Steve Buscemi creature a minute ago. Not, not marrying no ugly fucker. Not learning the moral of the story. No. And that's it. When I say that's it, that's the tale of the hard nut. That's how it ends. And Drosselmeyer's like, and here he is. Here's your little guy. And Marie's like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's got to fight the Mouse King because he killed his mom, 
I guess. Everyone's just like, Drosselmeyer, what the fuck is wrong with you? As the prophecy was foretold. <laughs> and then it, it gets really weird after that. So the mice come back and the mouse king gets all up in Marie's bed at night and he whispers, give me all your candy or I'm going to chew your fucking nutcracker to pieces. And she's like, holy shit. And He's so, for real. And so she does. And she keeps trying to explain this to her family the whole time. Who are all just like, Marie, shut up. You're Jocelyn Myers. Put weird stories in your head. And so for like night after night, he, he the Mouse King appears and is just like, give me your toys or I will bite the nutcracker to pieces. And he destroys her toys. He's like, give me your pretty Christmas dress, etc., etc. And finally she's like, oh give you my pretty christmas dress i'm like seven years old i'm being like extorted by a fucking seven-headed rodent man <laughs> this didn't make it into the ballet for some reason and so finally the nutcracker is just like no marie like you've been my champion you've loved me this whole time we're we're gonna do this. We're gonna I'm I'm gonna fight the Mouse King. You're not gonna have to give him your pretty dress. And so she finds a toy sword and she gives it to him. And there's a big fight. And we don't see it. We just hear it. And chink, then the, chink. the Nutcracker like comes up to Marie's door, her bedroom door, and is just like. And she's like, yeah, and he opens the door and he's like, here's seven crowns. Guess where this shit came from? That bitch dead. And she's like, hell yeah. And he's like, let's go to the candy kingdom. And she's like, all right, cool. And then they're both tiny. And then they go to the candy kingdom. And it's, it's really boring. It's, it's not, it's just like, here's gingerbread place. Here's chocolate land. These people are made of almonds or something for like two chapters. This is the bulk of the ballet. <laughs> so eventually she wakes up and, you know, oh, it's just a wonderful dream of being in like Marzipan Castle or whatever. And she can never forget it. And everybody always makes fun of her. And she keeps saying, you know, I know it was real. I know it was real. And all the time she spends like looking at the shelf with the nutcracker on it and finally she says like oh nutcracker if i had been princess prillipat i wouldn't care if you were ugly i would love you just the same and poof turns into pitbull dale dale you've broken the spell mr 305 nut worldwide he says you've broken the spell and she's like ah and then there's nothing there and they're like, Marie, Dude, why? There's nothing. Nothing. There. And they're like, Marie, why are you screaming? And she's like, the Nutcracker. And I was like, there's nothing there. Oh, also Drosselmeyer's coming with his nephew. Be on your best behavior. He opens his door, nephew comes in. The nephew is clearly the Nutcracker. He's a boy. Whoa. And they, they, they like each other a lot. And then, this is where it gets a bit wild here. He just, just this, like... This is where it gets wild. Yes, this is where it gets wild. So, they're alone, and he kneels down on one knee, and it's just like, oh, you've saved my life, and when you said you would uh, not hate me like the cruel Princess Perlipat, for whose sake I became ugly, I immediately ceased to be a hideous nutcracker, blah, 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 blah. Oh, noble young lady, please make me happy by giving me your worthy hand and sharing my kingdom and crown. If you do, you shall reign with me in Marzipan Kingdom, for there I am king. These are two small children. 
And she's like, yup, sounds good. I would like to rule a country. And they were engaged. And it says, in a year, or so they say, he came to take her to his kingdom. Ah, she's eight now. Now she's ready to be queen. And she goes off with the Nutcracker and she's queen of the Marzipan kingdom. Yeah, there's been younger queens. At least Amidala was a teenager. Now here's the thing about Star Wars and Amidala. Yes. She could crack a nut. Okay, nope. You had nothing. Vader cracked a cold one in her. Oh, gross. Nope. He cracked two at the same time. The end. Yeah, really, we're all just a bunch of nuts. We are just a bunch of nuts. Some of us are nuttier than others. <laughs> we, we have fun here on Ono Lit Class. Um, <laughs> just, anyway, that's the Nutcracker and the Mouse King. You think Jar Jar could crack nuts? Uh, look at that. You, you know what that mouth do, RJ. He, he ever uh, <laughs> crack Boss Nass's nuts? All right, moving on to adaptations. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. So, obviously... What? (laughs) Are you alright? Do I need a call for help? Maybe you should go sit for a bit. Go take a load off. Now, this is Potter, you see. This is podcasting. Oh, shit. You're right. (laughs) Yippee. Were we were we watching all the Star Wars movies because the new one's coming out? I think it'll actually when this comes out. I think it's coming out the next day. So here's the thing about R two D two. No, we're moving on. Who uh, is only we known as Arturio or Little Arthur? Oh God, that's so cute. What was it that? Where is it? Arturito. Yeah, yeah, no, but what? Which um, Spanish? Yeah, Little Arthur's the cutest fucking name for R two D two. I love it so much. Yeah, he could crack nuts all over himself. He could like hit his head on him. He could run over. All right, we're gonna talk he about. Has the we're gonna talk about the fucking ballet. Him. We're gonna talk about the goddamn ballet. You shut up. So, as RJ previously said, R two D two could crack nuts with his head, and that uh, in eighteen ninety two they they took Daddy Dumas' version of the story. They were like, all right, let's lose like. 90% of the plot. Oh, also something you didn't bring up, which is weird. In a, in Dumas' version, she's not called Marie. She's called Clara. I got to assume that's just because he was sitting there tied to a chair and couldn't remember her fucking name. But because of that, in subsequent different productions and adaptations of the story in the ballet, sometimes she's called Marie. Sometimes she's called Clara. Who the fuck knows? But yeah, they're like, let's lose like 90% of the plot. You know, what little plot there was anyway. And in the ballet, which was a massive commercial failure in Tchaikovsky's lifetime before becoming the iconic success it is today, the Nutcracker's curse is broken as soon as Marie uh, hurls her shoe at the Mouse King, who's immediately stabbed to death by the Nutcracker, and then we get the magic fairyland cookie-dancing people or whatever. No weird sausage vendettas, no mouse vengeance, no stories about the magical hardest nut. It's kind of lame. I mean, the music pops off, but like... Kind of lame. He was drunk at a party tied down by children. Yeah, and they decided to be like, let's do that version for a ballet. I mean, fine. I guess it's kind of hard to figure out how to choreograph the search for the hardest nut. You know, line up a bunch of men. No. You open no, up their no, mouths. No. And you go down the line. Yeah. I saw it in Black Swan. <sighs> No, you didn't. Um, yeah, I did. In my dream, I did. So, other things. Uh, Maurice Sendak 
as an illustrated picture book of the Nutcracker, which has some really cool illustrations. It preserves a sort of dark and inherent weirdness of the story in his usual very distinctive illustrative style. It's worth taking a look at. It's it's pretty cool. That's where the wild things are, Maurice Sendak, in case you're not familiar. When he wasn't doing children's books, he was just making wild shit. Movies. Mostly pretty generic animated movies, with the exception of 1993, wherein they filmed essentially the ballet version for film, but plopped a 12-year-old Macaulay Culkin in there as the Nutcracker Prince to sort of twirl around and watch the performers actually dance. Also, just as an extra bit of weirdness, the whole thing is narrated by Kevin Klein, which is the whole only dialogue for like the whole thing, and was written by Susan Cooper, a name that admittedly means nothing to a lot of people, including you. But she's the author of one of my favorite YA fantasy series, The Dark is Rising sequence, which had a shitty movie adaptation that we don't talk about. And this is basically the only time she's ever done something like that. So that's kind of a fun trivia nugget. I don't know. Uh, The very first of the animated Barbie movies was Barbie and the Nutcracker. His name was Prince Eric. It wasn't Ken Ken was not the Nutcracker. I I looked that up because I was curious. There's the aforementioned Mickey Mouse version, which appears as a segment in the collection Mickey's Magical Christmas, snowed in at the House of Mouse, with the Nutcracker story being narrated by John Cleese. In the late 2000s, though, folks started getting real weird with it. I mean, real fucking weird. In 2010, they released the imaginatively titled The Nutcracker in 3D. In this one, the character of Drosselmeyer is replaced by Uncle Albert who's Albert Einstein for some reason. He's played by Nathan Lane. I don't know what that's about. Also, the mice army are in a like the dystopian kingdom and they're rats now. And by rats, I mean they're people with like weird pointed faces. They look like the Who's from the Grinch live action movie. Like the Who's in Whoville. And also they're fascists. <laughs> and they're led by the Rat King, who's played by John Turturro in an Andy Warhol wig. And he sings a song about how much he likes being an evil fascist rat king. It's on YouTube. Someone's got to do it. (laughs) It did not do well. Oh. (laughs) Quote film critic Roger Ebert, may he rest in peace. From what dark night of the soul emerged the wretched idea for the nutcracker in 3D? It should have been in 4D. I want to feel the nut crack. I want to feel that nut crack. That's just a powerful sentence. It's a very powerful sentence. In 2018, Disney took a crack at it. Ah, ah. Fine. With the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Now, while Nutcracker 3D sucked, at least it sucked in like a weirdly fascinating train wreck kind of way, this movie is just insanely boring. I tried to watch it on a whim one night because Kira Knightley is in it and Kira Knightley. And I fell asleep just before like the halfway point where we get like the twist on who the real villain is, which is hilariously obvious from the beginning. It's Kira Knightley. It tries to make this light ass plot like a big quest and it, it's just really fucking boring. And everyone looks like they snuck away from the set of another Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie. The only thing about it is there is a cool ballet scene with Misty Copeland, and she's also the only ballerina in the world that I could name. If you put a gun to my head and said, name a ballerina, Misty Copeland, you would save my life, because I don't got nobody else. Can you name more? Can you name a ballerina? Natalie Portman. Black Swan doesn't count. Misty Franklin. 
I don't know who that is, so no, I can't a, actually. That's an athlete. No. Definitely not a power. Either. Okay. I just realized that you really could just say a name and I wouldn't fucking know. Eugenia Ballerina. <laughs> yeah, that sounds legitimate. <laughs> that's actually pretty much kind of where it is on adaptations. And so that brings us to the part of the show that we always end up at, which is, hey, RJ. So The nut cracker and also the mouse king what about it good or bad or christmas what are you doing carlos acosta gray oh we're looking looking up ballerinas jolina ulnova anna pavlova all right what are we doing here nutcracker yeah mouse king yeah good Bad, happy holidays. As all those ballerinos would say, on point. <laughs> yeah, how you figure? It's the best story I've ever heard about a rat with seven heads. Because <laughs> there are so many uh, subpar and mediocre rat with seven head stories these days. Also the best story I've ever read about busting a nut. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really the best one? Well, what are some of the other... Uh, Nut busting stories that you know. Well, what did we just do last episode? Yeah, those were nuts. That was BDSM. He busted a nut. No, he ejaculated. <laughs> this is about the solemn duty of getting nut meat out of a nut. <laughs> yeah, let me let me phrase this another way. Do you feel like your life has been enriched now that you are aware of the story of the nutcracker where once you were not? My life's enriched knowing some children tied up Daddy Dumas and forced him <laughs> to tell them a story. And he said, yes, children, gather around while I tell you the story about busting a nut. I mean, that part is on brand for him. I just can't get over these fucking kids. They're like, oh, Granddaddy Dumas falling asleep in the chair. We want this story, though. Oh, it's Christmas. Let's tie him to the fucking chair and make him talk. I studied Shibari. I got this, guys. CBT. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, Megan. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Nut busting. <laughs> busting makes me feel good. Good, bad, or otherwise. Do, 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 yeah, that kind of became like the weird, like the doing something sneaky and also it's Christmas music. Maybe doing something pervy, I don't know. It's interesting seeing where the story came from because you get the, you know, you get the sort of distilled, safer, more family-friendly version and you lose all this really interesting, weird shit. And so it's neat to see where that came from. It's very short. It's available online, or at least certain translations are. There's no reason not to read it. It it does not take a very long time. And it's not boring, except for the very end where they're just like, Candy Town! And I mean, I guess it's a story for children who might be into Candy Town. But it's it's just interesting. And I I just want to finish it out with a quote from an NPR article that I found that was called, uh, The Dark Romantic Roots of the Nutcracker. And so, quote, Retired University of Minnesota German professor Jack Zipes says Hoffman was rebelling against the dominant movement of the time, the Enlightenment, and its emphasis on rational philosophy. 
quote within the, the quote, so this is Zipes now, he believed strongly, as most of the German romantics at that time, that the imagination was being attacked by the rise of rationalism throughout Europe. The only way that an artist could survive would be to totally become dedicated to another way of looking at the world and to reclaiming nature, reclaiming innocence, reclaiming an authentic way of living. But Zipes says what has been lost for most productions of The Nutcracker is Hoffman's very attitude about imagination, reality, and childhood. Quote, there is a great deal of damage done to Hoffman's story because at the end of his story, Marie moves off into another world, a world of her own choosing. That, you know, she keeps saying over and over again that this world is real. Oh, shit, and I even for- I screwed up a bit because uh, after the Nutcracker kills the-, the Mouse King, you know, and her parents keep saying, her whole family keeps saying, like, stop making shit up. She shows them the seven crowns. She's like, you see these! These are war trophies! Explain this, mother! And Drosselmeyer is like, those are from my watch chain, I gave them to her. And she's like, whose side are you fucking on? So again, Drosselmeyer, just a pure agent of chaos. So there's proof of the stuff that she's seeing being real. That that this is like an actual world of imagination that we, we are committing to that marie is committing to and going to rule and so zype says whereas in the ballet it's a harmless diversion that is full of sort of dancing and merriment but there's nothing profound in the ending of the ballet as it exists and it's also true of dumas story ends in a very fluffy saccharine way hoffman zipes adds wanted to make sure his readers knew that marie was aware of the contrast between her life and the rule-bound stall bombs which Talk about rules. Remember, the literal opening of the story is they have to be locked in the room because that's how it works on Christmas, so they can't sneak out and look at the toys. They can't play with the toys. The toys have to be locked in the shelf. Like, it's all rules. And that with the Nutcracker, it's a world of imagination, a world of her choice, a world where she is making the decisions to protect the Nutcracker and to love him even if he's ugly and all that stuff. And so... That was really interesting to me because I didn't think about that much when I was reading it. I was laughing at nut jokes. And when I did read the synopsis of the ballet and all the stuff they cut out, you know, I read it as more like, ah, they cut out the weird bits. But they actually do cut out the bits that make the story more than, like, just a story. And I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's a couple academic papers in there somewhere. Uh, So I say good. There you go. (laughs) Long way to get to that answer. Yes, but that was the only chance I was going to have to talk about that. And I thought it was really interesting. And this episode is pretty much going to be comprised 90% of nutting jokes. So I had to get some kind of actual literary analysis in there. That makes you the top nut. I am the top nut. If, if you want to make us feel like we're the top nut, if listening to these these episodes make you feel a little nuts, I don't know. I'm, I'm losing my fucking mind here. Then spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your weird German inventor godfather. Tell the seven-headed mouse that lives in your walls to check out Ono oh Lit Class. Give it a listen. Maybe subscribe. Perhaps contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash class. Check us out on Twitter at OnoLitClass, on Facebook. Buy cool stuff from us at OnoLitClass.Threadless.com. And all of those things at more, just, just at OnoLitClass.com. That's that's just your one-stop shop for everything nut. That's it. That's that's all I got there. This will be the last episode of... This is what, this is what we're going out on in 2019. Next episode will be in early January. It's not going to be January 2nd. We're going to be traveling. 
we might record some audio from the road and maybe I'll upload that and we will definitely have special Christmas content for our patrons that I'm very excited about. But we will return in early January and I'm just going to tell you what the episode is going to be about right now so you can start getting excited about it. Art of the deal. No. Cats. And T.S. Eliot. And all sorts of the weird shit involved in those two things. But until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Happy holidays. And happy nutcracking. Bye. See you in 2020. Italiano is the language of romance. The Russians were not super romantic. When the pie hits your eye, that's the more. Yeah, when the the pie hits your eye. I'm 90% sure we've made some version of this fucking joke before. Bing, bing, boom, straight to the moon.